Hello and welcome to another episode of Toxicology, brought to you by Recovery Unplugged. Here at Toxicology, we talk all things addiction, recovery, and mental health. Tonight's guest, Recovery Unplugged's Executive Director, Christine Gregorio. I'm your co-host, Jason Cabello, and as always, your host and mine, Joseph Gorordo. Just me once again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Toxicology. Joseph is out there in Georgia or in transit back home from Georgia, out there, you know, doing his thing, saving some lives. So, Joseph, get home safe. It's been a while since uh, the two of us have been on together on our own podcast. So, hopefully, next week we will both be here. Um, but yeah, welcome to Toxicology. The greatest podcast, as Joseph likes to say, about addiction, recovery, and mental health that's on at 8 p.m. Eastern here at Recovery Unplugged. Definitely the best there. Um, so, yeah, just me. A little, it's hard to banter with myself. What's up, James? Good to see you, man. Um, having some serious weather here in Austin, Texas, some thunderstorm warnings and tornado warnings, so if... Uh, if it pops off, please forgive us. That's uh, not in my not in my control. And if uh, you see a little three-legged thunder baby bump on my lap, my dog is terrified of the thunder. So we'll see what happens. Hey, everybody, Barry, check it out. Look at you. So Barry is uh, if if anybody hasn't is doesn't know, Barry Ryman has a podcast that's on Wednesdays at noon Eastern. And it's called Rhyme and Reason. Uh, I, I had the privilege and the honor to jump in as co-host because Zach was uh, doing his thing, saving lives. And there's Joseph, always chiming in, still support. He's stuck in Georgia, so yeah. Um, so anyway, let's uh, let's jump in to uh, press radio and film. Press radio and film. So we were featured, Recovery Unplugged, the, the royal we, were, was featured in a CBS news story from the D.C. area. If uh, you could roll that, Greg, we could watch that. Now to a problem facing far too many Americans, drug addiction. Without treatment, it can have deadly consequences. U.S. health officials say on average nearly 300 people die every day from a drug overdose. In tonight's Eye on America, CBS's Nicole Killian takes a look at a new approach to rehab that is hitting all the right notes. Abby Apospiris has found the right key to her music and to life. It's a form of meditation for me. A life nearly lost to illicit drugs. I could be like, you know, passed out for six hours and not know it happened. The 28-year-old's addiction started with painkillers. I was introduced to opiates at like a very, very young age from all my injuries. How young? Um, honestly, like eight years old. Um, yeah, like just from being hurt and stuff like that. She was a Division Three collegiate soccer player when she suffered an unrelated traumatic brain injury that put her on a destructive path to heroin, crack, and fentanyl. She went into rehab three times, at one point dropping to 80 pounds. Was that a wake-up moment for you? Yeah, oh, for sure. I was like, what's the point of living, essentially? Um, it was like sink or swim, and for a long time, I was thinking. My feet, old man, I don't 
until recovery unplugged struck a chord. The Virginia Treatment Center uses music therapy to get people sober through song. We're using music as a way to get to people that it, it hits them in their heart. David Angwal is the director. He says 80% of people who come through his doors complete the program, which features weekly concerts. No experience required to play. One fine day. You can watch the stress and all that just sort of leave their body in that moment. And they have this, this this sort of cathartic experience. For a Pospirus who's been clean for over a year, the takeaway is much more. This place taught you how to live. Yeah, yeah, and other treatment centers that I went to, they didn't necessarily do that. She plans to return to the facility as a part-time counselor. I know what it feels like to be just so broken and people are more inclined to listen to somebody like who's gone through the same thing to be instrumental in their recovery for eye on america nicole killian cbs news annandale virginia what a cool story right and I, I know why Ian liked it so much, because you get to see his, his, his beautiful face on there. I want to know who put the mad face up in the, uh, in the little, uh, who, who's mad about this? Let us know why, please. Let's have a conversation about it. Get it out. But yeah, so Recovery Unplugged, you know, I can't say enough about the place. It saved my life. Um, I came through as a client um, almost six years ago. And tonight's guest was instrumental in my recovery. We'll get into that. Christine does not like speaking publicly, so we figured what better way to get her out of her comfort zone than to come on a live broadcast. So ladies and gentlemen, the wily and elusive Christine Gregorio, welcome. <laughs> hey, Jason. Hey, everyone. How's it going? It's going good. And yes, I do not like to speak on these things, but you know... I can speak anytime about recovery unplugged and what we do. So this is pretty easy. Good, good. So I noticed the, the bad weather here today, right? And then I know a few weeks ago you were supposed to speak at an alumni meeting there in South Florida. And strangely enough, it was canceled due to weather. We had a tornado warning. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a little bruja in you? A little uh, mixing up some spells and controlling the weather to try to avoid these things? Listen, I just turned to Zach and I said, how crazy is that? See, it's not <laughs> right? meant to be, maybe, you know? <laughs> it's definitely meant to be. So, Christine, welcome. Um, we got a lot of people chiming in already. You know, you're, you're, you're a huge part of Recovery Unplugged. And, you know, you, you, you bring so much heart and soul into, into what you do. So let's just start out. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you ended up getting into the treatment world. Well, um, you know, it's a funny story. I was at a meeting and someone came up to me and uh, said, hey, I heard you're looking for a job. And um, I said, absolutely. And they said, you want to interview um, at Recovery Unplugged? Well, actually, it was Harmony Treatment Center back then. So, okay. you know, I came in, I interviewed. Rob did not want to hire me. I'm just putting that out there. Um, but, you know, Paul and Michelle had my back and I was hired and I was actually hired as the receptionist at Recovery Unplugged. It was only a handful of us. And, um, you know, we had to do everything. So I started out at the front desk 
And and how how long was was Harmony treatment around before you started? Was it were you there from no, the I inception? Was, I was um, yep, I was one of the uh, first employees hired. Wow. So I was with them before we were even open the doors. We were getting ready. That's amazing. So you've seen everything. Yes. You've seen everything. So what about your own personal story? What um, qualified you to want to get into treatment and like a little bit of your own background that, that leads you into, you know, wanting to help people? Well, I think, you know, my family always jokes um, about, you know, that I'm running a treatment center, right? Because I went to so many treatment centers. And, um, you know, I was that chronic relapser. Mm-hmm. You know, would go into treatment, come out, go to detox, come out, relapse, relapse. So over 15 years of that, of going in and out of treatment. Wow. And, and, and how long now are you uh, clean and sober? Uh, it's going to be 10 years this January. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's crazy. So for you, what made that that ultimate change that that time? Because, you know, I, I can relate, you know, I was seven, like from my, the first time that I ever had somebody reached out to a friend of mine to saying that I needed to go to a meeting or I needed help. It was seven years, you know, and for me, it was like, <clears throat> you know, 19 treatment centers before I went to recovery unplugged. And for me, it was always that one more because, you know, my disease would let me go to treatment, let me be like the model client. And, you know, I would ha I would gain all this hope. Right. It, it none, none of it went to waste because it ultimately led me to where I am today. But that disease would tell me as soon as I got out, you did great. You did awesome. Let's get one more. And then we'll start this recovery thing. And that, that one more lasted like seven years. So, so what was it that, that finally clicked to you? Was it something that you did differently? Was it a, like a, a psychic change? Well, I, I think, you know, people ask me that. And even my family asked me that a lot. Like, what made you decide this time to, you know, stay clean? You know, and there was plenty of times, like, we all had the intentions of staying clean. But for me, it was every time I'd get some clean time, the guilt and shame and not doing the work would bring me right back out. So I didn't have to deal with anything, you know, and the ironic part is um, I was living in the park across the street from the Lake Worth facility. Oh shit. And that's crazy. I just, yeah. Is that, that's insane. Right. So that's yeah. a, a aha moment. Every time I drive past that park. Do, do you want to hear, I'm, I'm sure I told you about this when I, when I first came into treatment, Ten years ago to the day, actually, I know this because um, Adam Yaka, the Beastie Boys, died ten years ago. And when I found out, I was working in a phone room that is now where Richie Supa performs and has groups that is Recovery Unplugged in Fort Lauderdale. It used to be a call center. And I was working in there to support my habit. And I was the most miserable I'd ever been in my entire life because, you know, I hated my job. I was only doing it to support my habit. And, you know, selling like bullshit vacation packages. And one day this guy like listened to my whole spiel and he was like, what kind of fucking scumbag person are you that does this for a living? That And I was just like, I hung up the phone and left. And then the next time I went back, I had no idea where recovery unplugged was. So I got picked up for detox and ended up there. And I was just like, this is this is a, this is saying something. This is some sort of God moment. I don't know what's happening here. And that, that was the day I met you. I remember you telling me that story and yeah. um, 
you know, I think what it was for me was I couldn't die because I tried. I couldn't get mm -hmm. high anymore. And I was just so tired of scamming and trying to find the money to buy the next one. I was right. exhausted yeah. mentally, physically. Right. And I, um, you know, didn't make a decision. I got a phone call about three in the morning from my son. And he said to me, and he's called me many times, and he said, Mom, where are you? Because I had been missing. Right? I wouldn't answer the phone. And I don't know what it was. I was just exhausted. So exhausted yeah. that yeah. night. And I said, uh, you know, meet me at my mom's house. And he did. And I walked in and, you know, wish I can tell you that everybody was happy to see me. Not at all. <laughs> you know? Right. And, you know, when I made that decision that I would give it one last time, Narcotics Anonymous. That's what works for me. And um, I promised them I didn't go to detox. I mean, and I know they hate when I, I did not go to treatment this time because I was even too exhausted to wait on a med line. Wow. Right. So I detoxed myself on my mother's couch and I lived on that couch um, for a couple of months. I wasn't allowed to go past a certain area in the house because I had robbed her so many times. Jeez. And I told them, give me, you know, five or six days and I will go back to the meetings. You know, and then, of course, we all know you start feeling a little bit better. And my mom says, well, are you going to a meeting tonight? And um, my first impulse was to say, no, I don't feel well. And for some reason, I said yes. Right. And I walked into the meeting, and it was the same meeting, my first very narcotics anonymous meeting that I had attended like 15 years ago. And it was wow. some of the same people were in there. And I just held on for dear life. You know, every day I wanted to use, you know, but the difference was I actually told on myself. Like, you know, all the years going in and out of the rooms, I never would tell anybody that I was dying on the inside. Right. Everything was I'm I'm fine, but it wasn't. So, you know, this time around, I, I raised my hand every night I wanted to use. I reached out to people and said, I want to get high. And, you know, one day went into the next. And I wish I can sit here and say, oh, my life just turned around. It was a lot of work. I put in the work, you know, to get my yeah. family back. And so I just continued. And one day led to the next, you know, I had another day clean, another day clean. That, that's what I love about meetings, you know, and especially like I, I went to the same meetings that you did in South Florida, just the, the recovery that you get out there. It's just like I didn't get any judgment because I would cut, like I said, seven years going to meetings, getting a sponsor, starting to do some work, lying through my teeth about what's going on. And then every time I came back, it was like, you know, we've been waiting for you, but <clears throat> It, it, it took me a long time to realize that being the most important person in the room over and over and over again and them clapping when you came back, they weren't clapping because you relapsed. You know what I mean? They, they were clapping because you, you made it back because so many don't. Now, so using, using when you did in South Florida, were you part of the whole pill mill? Uh, uh, yes. I actually yeah. ran uh, two pain management centers. Whoa, so, I probably I probably ran into you because I, I did the same thing. For those of you who don't know, Broward County, Florida, at one time, I'm not sure if this is accurate or not, but I had heard this, that about 80% of all manufactured oxycodone were going to Broward County, Florida. Because, I mean, if we're just talking about Commercial Boulevard, 
which is, you know, right in the heart of Fort Lauderdale. If east of I-95, between I-95 and uh, almost the beach, there was just pain management clinic after pain management clinic. And there was a loophole in the law where there wasn't a database. So one could go in. And these places were one-stop shops. They would, they would get doctors out of retirement for their, for their, um, their what is it, the DEA number that they need to, to write scripts, get the doctors out of retirement, and they would just write, you know, you would come in, sit down, oh, how are you feeling, what's your range of motion, does that hurt, yes, here's 100 oxys, and then, you know, 100 Vicodin for breakthrough pain, and we're having trouble sleeping too, here's some Xanax, and just anything you wanted. And then you could go right next door to the next one, and it, it was like the fucking Wild West for so many years. It was so insanity. So when that got cut off, was that, were you still using at that point? Yes. That was, if, talk about anxiety. I remember going to my doctor and I probably had taken the last pill the night before because I could never save mine. I remember going to my doctor's office and the door was just locked. And then the phone was turned off and everybody was calling each other in a panic. And it was like all of a sudden street value for, for, for 30 milligram oxycodone went from like $5 to $15. And then within a few months, they were $20. And then I don't even know what they are now. They're probably like $50, $40. I'm not sure. But that was – that put – I just remember my neighborhood alone where my mom lives off in um, Fort Lauderdale off of like State Road 84 and I-95 – you know, there were a lot of people who worked in marinas there in the boating industry who had like legitimate pain and got hooked on these things. And all of a sudden, these people who were going to the doctor and had a manageable drug problem, all of a sudden were having to turn to the streets and drug dealers to get their things. And it was just like an overnight change there. It was, like you said, it, it was an... Um lines out the door for the doctor's office people would come in vans yeah. you know they would pick up people and that we were, i was falsifying mris i mean it was the insanity that went on with that how i'm still alive from that it's it really is a miracle you know wow. we were raided we were robbed you know i had to have a security guard walk me to my car after work there was so it was so intense but you know what i thought i won the lottery when i was right? running the oh my god <laughs> I, I was like, this is the best job in the world, right? That's that's how sick, uh, you know, I was back then, too, right? I thought I won the lottery when I got that job. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I got into a car accident and, and hurt my ankle. And I remember right when it happened, I was like, yes, <laughs> like I could go and, and get more pills now. It was just, yeah, that, that, that was fucking crazy. So, and you know what? So Recovery Unplugged is one of the best treatment centers, if not the best, I personally think it's the best, but in the country, I mean, just, you know, we, we have people calling us the good guys who, who usually don't. I know like the JCO, the joint commission, we always pass with flying colors and Broward Sheriff's office are, are really good friends with, you know, some of our founders, but South Florida is pretty notorious for some, some shady treatment centers. At least they were. And I know a lot of the people who own these pain management clinics, as soon as those got shut down, was like, well, you know, I, I, I have a, uh, a, this client base that, you know, if I flip over this way, I could still keep these clients. So I know a lot of Florida um, 
people from Florida actually have a bad rep because of those treatment centers. You well, know, especially I, there was a, there was a time there where you know, in South Florida, every treatment center had a bad name, right? And that's when really Recovery Unplugged was starting to grow a little bit. You know, and the amazing part is that we stuck it out, and you know, we have a phenomenal name in the community, right? Because we actually are here to help the clients, and I think that's what I love about the ownership and the leadership is that we're truly here to save lives. You know, it's it's always about the client. And what can we do better to help someone? Right. And I know, you know, the vision started with uh, Paul Pellinger, who was who was driving a client from prison to, to treatment or something like mm -hmm. that. I don't remember the exact story, but, you know, it, it was this guy who really didn't feel much like talking. And Paul put the radio on and played a song and then had an immediate breakthrough with this guy. And that's where I guess the the initial idea for, you know, music assistant treatment came. And then Andrew Sawson, um, I know I had heard him talking about, you know, he kept on sending family members to rehabs that were just shitty. So he figured, well, why don't I, uh, you know, open one that really works some place that I could send my family to. And then just, you know, I don't know how that whole thing came together. Do you know how, how it all came to be? Basically, you know, they got together with this, Paul had this vision and Andrew, um, you know, wanted to help people and make treatment better, you know, and then Rob came into the bit picture and they just put it together. I mean, when we first opened, you know, and it was Marshall also, it was the four of them and maybe like five right. employees. Right. And they, you know, put this vision together, especially with the music and we just kept growing and growing. I mean, you know, like I said, it's really easy to sell recovery unplugged. Right. And yeah. I think, um, you know, even till this day, I try when we, we get new employees, right, is how important the music is. Right. You could use that for relapse prevention, you know, or use it in everyday life. Like, I'll give you an example. You know, my go to song is the Red Hot Chili Peppers under the bridge, because that song will remind me of the last day that I was using. Right. So right. I use that even today. When my life has gotten really good, right? The cravings are better. Right, Christine's having some technical difficulties there, but I will piggyback off what she said. There she is. Okay. Okay. We lost you for a second. We were scared. So tell us more about the Red Hot Chili Pepper song. So you can use that. Like I use that song, right, as a reminder. It brings me back to the last day I'm using, right? Even if my life is phenomenal and I have a really bad day at work, right? And sometimes you just want to say, screw this, I'm done. You know, I put that song on and it reminds me of where I've come. You know, it brings me yeah. back to living in that park, right? So it's really right. important oh. um, that everybody I feel should have that, so have a song like that. You, you just gave me chills and... I, I don't think I've ever teared up on the on this podcast before, but you brought me back to when I was in my first day of treatment at Recovery Unplugged, I was detoxing pretty heavy, you know, 20, 20 years of pretty much everyday use, Suboxone method, like anything, anything I could get my hands on, you know, so my detox was rough. And my first day in a group, you know, they're like, we understand that you might not want to talk right now, but is there a song that you could play that, you know, can make 
everybody else know what you're feeling and it just and my, my song is fond farewell by elliot smith i actually have fond farewell tattooed across my my throat and it says um a fond farewell to a friend who couldn't get things right and i used to relate to that song as this is my 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 farewell song you know what i mean this is what i'm i want them to play at my funeral and then i flipped it into the old me as a friend who, you know, a fond farewell to somebody who couldn't get things right. Now I'm going to try to make things right. So, God, you know what I mean? Like that that day was just such a turning point for me. And it wasn't like this huge epiphany, like, I know I'm going to stay clean for the rest of my life. It was it was a lot of fucking hard work. It was a lot of, you know, because you remember, Christine, I didn't have anything when I came in. I had a couple of garbage bags full of clothes. I pretty much hemorrhaged my mom of, you know, all of her money. And it was just like, I didn't have much to look forward to, you know, it was just like, I just didn't want to be sick anymore. And I just wanted to every day try to get a little bit further away from that person that I used to be. And, you know, I continue to do that like every day. And, you know, that that's the kind of thing that keeps me active in my recovery and, why I love working for Recovery Unplugged because, you know, if anybody doesn't know, like besides doing the podcast, I do marketing for Recovery Unplugged. I do some like documentary stuff. I do commercials and it's like, I feel like I, I can represent it because I was there, you know, I've slept in these beds. I know what it was like to not want to go to treatment because of my connections through Recovery Unplugged, my parents in the music business, I had Recovery Unplugged offered to me years before I even took it. And I just wasn't ready just because I knew, like, if I take this, this gift and I fuck it up, like, I probably won't get another one. So it was just like this one day I was in, I was in Fort Lauderdale Hospital detoxing. And I asked my mom, like, can you call uh, Naomi Fabricant, who was a uh, vice president at the time, who was one of my mom's best friends. And I was like, can you call Naomi and tell her I'm ready? And my mom's like, no, but you can. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> and like having to call Naomi the first. And that was one Naomi like got me in because she knew that I called because I was ready and, you know, never looked back. So, you know, I just have to say, like, Christine has been client facing or I don't know if you still are, but were client facing for how many years was it? Oh. <sighs> Up until now, I still do it. I try and do it up until now. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you've dealt with thousands of clients, right? You've, yeah. you've met thousands of clients and been part of their recovery. <clears throat> and it's like, Christine just has this air about her. And it's like, people get intimidated by Christine. And I was trying to put my finger on it, like, when I knew that you were going to come on, because it's not like a fear intimidation it's like you give all of your hope to each and every one of these people and it's like people just don't want to disappoint you because i've seen you you know clients come like run <laughs> i remember this one time i was working as a tech and christine comes over and is talking to me and we're like oh where's where's so and so and we look and they climbed out of their bathroom window to leave. When we say AMA, that means against medical advice. That means somebody left before it was their time to be discharged. So these two people in, in one of our facilities ran out the window 
And then Christine just looks. She's like, the fucking doors are wide open. We don't lock anything here. But they <laughs> climbed out of the window and sneaked away just because they knew that they wouldn't be able to look at you and say, like, I'm going to go, you know, <laughs> I'm going to go back out there. And, and you just have, you know, everybody. I, I've never met anybody who says anything bad about you, you know, other than like they're a little bit a little bit scared of you. Yeah, I don't know why Healthy. I'm like, the e I'm the easiest person. So that's, I, you know, people say that, but um, I'm the big softy. You know, I, I'm I always be... the one to, you know, I, everybody should have a chance, right? I'm, I'm a real believer in giving people multiple chances to come back because if, you know, who knows when they're going to get in. And Jason, we know a lot of people that have come through Recovery Unplugged multiple, multiple times, and that was right. a clean. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I feel as long as someone is breathing, they have an opportunity to change their lives. Absolutely. So what is so I know that you, you're you in 12 step yourself and that's an abstinence based, you know, program. And the world has changed a little bit in their view of abstinence based first, what we call MAT, which is medically assisted treatment such as like long-term Suboxone use and, and other things. Has your opinion changed on, on things like that since you've been working in treatment? Uh, no, I, I still stick with what works for me. Right. So, right. you know, but. She was going to say, but if it helps somebody, I'm all for it. Did I, was I correct? A hundred percent. Whatever works. That's what, that's what they should be doing. Everybody's an individual. Right. You know, what works yeah. for one person might not work for another person. And that's okay. As long as you're making a change in your life, you keep doing what you're doing. Right. And I get some shit for it sometimes. Cause I know I talk about, you know, in my personal life, if I'm going to work somebody as a, with, as a 12 step sponsor, like, I, I just can't sponsor somebody who is, you know, on some sort of medical assisted treatment. I will do whatever I can to help them. I will be a support system for them. But just because my sponsor didn't let me do it. So, you know, it's it's this tradition thing that I cannot break. But if, you know, if somebody says like, well, I need Suboxone to stay clean, like fucking hey, do it. Like you have my 100% support. But when you're working like a 12-step program, it's just a little bit different. It's nothing like, you know, I, I don't have anything against it at all. Because I've seen plenty of people who are thriving, fucking thriving on Suboxone maintenance. And it's just like, it's what they need to, you know, it works for them. So I'm all for it. You know, and it's, you know, it's better to be on that than be, you know, dead or shooting fentanyl, right? So if it's working, right. that's all that matters. Right. So what is one of the most difficult parts of your job? The employees. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, um, I think the most difficult part, honestly, is uh, the families. You know, right. because there's such a part of whether someone sometimes is going to recover or not, you know, and I guess, you know, like my family was huge enablers for many, 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 many years. Right. And now that I work in treatment, right, I see how that really hurt me all those years. So the, the hardest part is trying to really 
explain to the families why you should not, you know, send money, you know, come pick up your child from treatment, you know, when they call and say, well, they're not giving us enough to eat here. It's not true. So that to me is the hardest part because I, it's really hard. It's their child or their loved one. Right. And I've been in that, I was in that position with my daughter. Right. Right. And, you know, I knew what to do, but it's different when it's your child. So. I mean, because you instinctively want to help your child. You do not want to see your child in pain. And it so many times you, I'll see like a client come into treatment. It, I didn't mean to cut you off. You, you, you kind of you skipped out a little bit. So um, you'll see a client come in. Right. And they will be just sick and suffering and say that they've had enough and, and want recovery. But then they start feeling a little bit better. They're eating normal. Their faculties are coming back. Their mind starts working. And all of a sudden they have all the answers. They know what's going to help them. They got to get back out there. They got to get back out there to work. They got to, you know, they got to make their car payments. They got to take care of their kid who they haven't seen in years before that anyway. And it's like they make this case to tell their loved ones, like, listen, I know what I got to do. And that is such a cliche saying, like, I know what I got to do. I'm going to get home. I'm going to go to meetings. My sponsor is going to pick me up from the airport. And then it's like so many people I heard say that aren't with us anymore. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think the hardest thing is, you know, I try and say it in a loving way to the, to the families, right. Is would you rather your child be a mad at you or would you rather be burying them? Right. So yeah, right? just like Ian just asked like, what, what, yes. what can a family member do? It's trying to set boundaries with their loved one. And it's, you know, sometimes you have to cut them off financially. Sometimes you have to say you can't come home unless, you know, you're you finish the program. But then it comes back to like and I've heard it a million times like, OK, then I'm going to go on the streets and nobody wants to see their kids go on the street. So what's your advice to something like that extreme? You know, we tell them, you know, do family program, go to counseling, go to uh, a support group. Right. And it's still better to have your child on the street than burying them. Good point. You know, but it's, it's hard for them to understand that right. Until it's something really does happen. That's drastic like that. But you know, what's out there now, that really is the reality of it. You know, there aren't many relapses. It's, it's usually death. Right. So right. it's really simple, it, but it's a hard thing for the family to understand. And it's really hard to say to a family member, right. When they, you know, don't set those boundaries. You know, sometimes you have to be brutally honest with them. You know, I feel like it's a right, like I have to say that to them, to let them yeah. know, you know, this is really serious. Yeah, and I mean, it's so sad, and we've talked about on here before, where there are those people who you know, like, and you could tell their families, if they go back out on the streets, they're going to die. It's not, it's not, if it's when and I, I mean so many people who i was in treatment with alone like you know when i was in in 2016 i think so so when you're in treatment you're in for a 30-day program and people are coming and going so you're in there you get there the first day i think the average would probably be about like 20 to 25 people right so then every day some people leave new people come in so 
you know, I, I'm terrible at math. So you, you're dealing with, you, you meet a lot of people who are in these groups with you, staying in, in residential with you. And I know more than half the people that I was in treatment with are no longer with us. You know, and it's, and there's so many of them that you just knew, like you just knew, like the, the way this person uses, it's, it's not sustainable. It's not going to last. And then there are some that shock us, right? Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, I, yeah, go ahead. You know, I, I, I try and tell the families to, um, you know, I've had to make quite a few of those phone calls and let them know that their child has passed away. And, um, it's probably the hardest thing, the scream that you could still, I could still hear them screaming into the phone. You know, and that that's the reality. And I do think, and that helps me in my recovery too, because I was one, like you, Jason, I didn't care if I lived or died, right? I used right. to, you know, I figured they were better off without me anyhow. But now, yeah. you know, it's totally different, right? I look at it like, what would my kids do without me being here, right? Who would walk them, you know, walk my daughter down the aisle, you know? So, you know, it's just, it's really hard, you know? And there are some families that, listen, they have, some of our clients have passed away, you know, and, and the families were still enabling, you know, and I still keep it. Yeah. And, you know, when you were saying about the ones that surprise you, there was nothing that brought me more joy, especially when I was working as a tech, when somebody would come in and they were just assholes. <laughs> you know what I mean? They came in wanting to start a problem. They came in you know, you're going to make my life miserable by taking away the one, only one thing that gives me any comfort in my life. Like I'm going to make your life miserable. And then at some point something just changes and it's not bullshit. And it's just like, you just see this person come out of a shell and thrive like that. That is such an amazing feeling. And I'm you've dealt with it way more than I have. Um, what are some of the best, and you, do, you know, you don't have to name names, but what are some of the best success stories that you've, that you've seen? You know, there, there's a lot, I will tell you that. Um, you know, there's someone that, you know, was a client of ours, um, and I actually kicked down, you know, I went with uh, one of the techs, this is way back, and we found out that she was at in this house, a crack house. And I went with this other tech and we actually like broke, he broke the front door down. And I remember standing there with her and, you know, she was crying. And I said, I want you to take a really good look at where you've been living, you know, and she walked out of there and she's gone on. She's just graduated with her um, bachelor's and she wrote a paper. I'm assuming she wrote some kind of paper, but yeah, you know, that is, it's, it's not uncommon too. Okay. You're back, Christine. You could finish. I mean, you know, she wrote a paper and she's graduated and that was life changing. There's so many success stories, you know, that, um, you know, clients that have come in and they've been with us six, seven, eight times, you know, and they've, they're doing these amazing things with their lives. I mean, we have a lot of success stories like that. Right. And I mean, recovery unplugged itself has just grown so much. I mean, you, you've seen it all. And I was recently out in Nashville and 
they're just fucking killing it out there. And it's just got its own, you know, it's recovery unplugged through and through to the bone, but it's got its own culture out there. Fucking Riley Osborne is killing it. His whole team put together the sober sessions out there. Johnny out there and um, so many people, like everybody there, like you do not see. So if you've ever been there, the hallways can be a little bit of a maze, right? And so you'll walk, you'll, you'll think you're walking one way, you're walking another way and you'll see a client and then you'll see, I, I never saw a client walking around by themselves without somebody greeting them, asking them how they're doing, if they need anything. And it's just that being that, you know, I went to treatment 20 times, you know, when it's a job for somebody, you know, when they punch the clock, they go home and they just leave it all behind. And then you can tell when somebody is like, they would be doing this on their day off and usually do, you know, in, in some sort of capacity. So, you know, recovery unplugged, we have, now we have Nashville, Northern Virginia, South Florida and Austin, Texas, and we now offer virtual services. So if you're a little bit far away from one of our centers and you can't get to it there, you can get this treatment from the comfort of your own home. You know, if you, if you, if your schedule does not allow it, whatever the case may be, there, there's no excuse. There's no excuse to not get help anymore. So Recovery Unplugged is known as, you know, music-assisted treatment. So I think we should play a little game that we have here. It is, I forgot what Joseph called it, but Greg, if you could roll the, uh, the spinny wheel thing. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about music, Christine. All right. There once was a wheel, it was a special wheel, it was a magical wheel, it was the best damn wheel, it's the spinny wheel of songs. Da -da -da -da. All right, so we're going to spin the wheel to see what it lands on, and then you give me three songs that, um, from, that from said category. So Greg, roll that spinny wheel. <laughs> a song that gives you gratitude give me three songs christine that give you gratitude me <laughs> yeah you put me on the spot now yeah oh yeah this is you know how we do it here three songs that give me gratitude um I would say one of my favorite, which is uh, I play a lot, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Mm. It's a good one. Um, another one would be Happy. By Pharrell, that one? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, let's think, what another one of gratitude? I'm drawing a blank. You put me on the spot, Jason. You know. Well, you could, you could, you could use the the Red Hot Chili Pepper song because I'm sure oh, it reminds okay. you of a you place that you, you don't want to use it again. I'm thinking of like Running Group. You drew a blank. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Under the bridge. Good. Okay. Three great songs that bring you gratitude. That's awesome. So, how does it feel to see Recovery Unplugged, you know, grow so much since its inception when it was just, you know. You, Paul Pellinger, and a couple of uh, a couple of desks. It's it blows my mind, 
Every day that I wake up and I come to work, I am in awe at where we are and how much we've grown and how many people we've helped. I really truly believe, you know, we've had some ups and downs through the years, but there is a reason why we're here and the people that we have working here that are still here. So it really does it. It, it blows my mind every day. Like right. I got chills when I saw the CBS thing last night because I just can't even believe I'm such part of such an amazing place. Right. And, and to see how much we've grown and how many people we're touching and how we're changing lives. It's really amazing. It's a blessing. Right. So, so what is your, what is your, your position now? I know you're not, you're not, you're not working the front desk anymore. <laughs> I'm the executive director of Florida. Okay. So what, what does that entail? What's a, what's a day in the life of Christine? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> besides doing podcasts and talking about songs that make you feel gratitude. <laughs> you know, I oversee the PHP program, IOP, detox res. Um, you know, I oversee clinical director, director of nursing. So I deal with everything with the clients. I mean, you know, it's, it's just busy, you know, busy work on the phone 24 seven, you know, um, you know, take care of the budgets. So basically anything that's going on at the facilities I know about. So for somebody who's watching who might not know what all these letters mean, PHP, IOP, can you explain, if you could explain what the levels of care are? Sure. Everybody knows detox is a medical detox where, you know, you're coming off um, opiates, uh, you get medicated. Then residential is the next level, which is after detox. It's, it's really for a medical necessity, you know, because you know how you don't feel that great after you get detox, so you go into residential. Then our PHP is partial housing, where, um, you know, you live on your own. You do have 24-hour monitoring by the tax. You go to groups. And then there's the IOP program, which is intensive outpatient, which means it's like three days a week. You go to groups. Um, you live at um, a three-quarter house, hopefully, or you can do it from home. And you have a job, and you start going back into uh, society. You so David Kerr says... A big part of your day is talking him off the ledge. Um, <laughs> yes, at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> David Kerr, the one of the hardest working men at Recovery yes. Unplugged. I think he lives there. I think he just lives in one of the facilities. And David takes care of everything. He was our rock star of the month from the company, which is, you know, I told him if we had a national day or week for him, it, it, it wouldn't be enough. David Carter does so much for Recovery Unplugged. So special shout out to David. I love you and miss you, man. But so speaking of talking off a ledge, you are phenomenal at what we call in the industry AMA blocking, which is when a client is not feeling it anymore and wants to go back on the streets and wants to you know, not stay the full continuum of care, you'll do an AMA block, which means you keep them in treatment. What is your secret to success with that? Well, I think it, I ha you have to meet the client where they're at, right? I think it's, um, you know, when you're talking to them, you're looking into their eyes, right? You're, you're sympathetic, you're listening because you know they're having cravings. Like I put myself in their, in their seat. 
right? I can re- right. I relate to them. You know, I don't give them all the reasons, you know, oh, your mother's going to be mad. You got to complete. You're going to die. You know, you have to really listen to what they're saying, right? And meet them where they're at. You have to make that connection, right? There's some that I know there's nothing I can say that's going to change their mind whatsoever, you know? So it's like really that eye contact and getting to their level and listen to them. I actually put myself in their shoes when I'm doing it because I know how that feels when you want to use, you want to leave. You know, and um, you just listen to them and you you relate like I could relate to them. You know, I don't try and bullshit them. I tell them the truth, the honest truth. You know, some of them will be like, I'm done. I got to go. You know, and there's some that I just say, there's, I know there's nothing I can say to them. Right. So it's really relating to them. Yeah. I, Christine and I have gone on a couple of chases before. <laughs> um a client will run out and, and in a Fort Lauderdale location, we're, we're right across the street from the beach. So it's easy. We would go one, she would go one way, I would go to the other way. And I can't tell you how many times we've, you know, found a client just walking away, didn't even know why they were running. You know what I mean? It's just this thing where your, your world is changing. You've lost what you think is control, even though the drugs were controlling you, right? So, you know, but you think you were in control of it. And then talking these people back with empathy and love and just saying like, listen, we, most of the people here know exactly how you feel because we've been there before, you know, I've, I've AMA'd before plenty of times I've left before and, you know, said that I know what I'm going to do now. And then the second I hit the streets, you know, I knew what I was going to do out there. So Ashley Armstrong asked me to ask you. Oh, no. And we could edit this out. We could edit this out if you want. But who is your favorite alumni coordinator? <laughs> oh, well, oh. you know. <laughs> listen, we have the most amazing alumni team across the company. I can't, I like being in Austin and hanging out with those guys and Ashley, they do an amazing job, you know? So I really say that it's really amazing to see the work that they do, how much they care, you know, because I get to work with Zach every day, basically. And the compassion that they have for the clients is really amazing. They make my job a lot easier sometimes, you know, if client even leaves, um, the first thing I do is I call Zach. I'm like, hey, this client just left AMA, get them back. And I would say right. 80% of the time, Zach gets them back that night. He doesn't give up. Wow. Wow. Okay. Zach is a, I, I don't know. He might be up there. So every, everybody else, we're going to work a little bit harder to catch up to Zach's energy. No, but e- each and every one of them are great. Like I said, I just got back from Nashville and they're, they're killing it out there. I got to go to an alumni meeting out there and it's just, you know, they're at that place right now where, you know, the, the, the people who have been there the longest, the, the, the clients, the alumni are like a couple years clean now and just like so on fire. Shout out to Joey if he's out there. He was our first client at Nashville. First, first client to walk through the door. And I got to spend a little bit of time with him out there. And he is just such a good person, man, and, and, and loves everything that we do and just just embody like that. That's why we opened up out there. You know what I mean? We opened up out there to save lives and he's just one of many, many people out there who's just fucking killing it. And, you know, and I, you know, I moved to to Austin from Florida just because it was like, you know, I was at Florida for a few years. I, 
I love Florida, Lo love, love the community out there. But then I came out to do some videos out here in Austin and was just like, man, this place is fucking cool. This place really is great. And, you know, my girlfriend being from Dallas, we got to move her closer to home and come out to Austin. And everybody was so welcoming, Ashley and the whole team and the whole band and everybody out there. It's just like, you know, I can't say, and I I'm speaking from the heart here. It's not just because I work for the company and I'm doing this podcast. Like Recovery Unplugged changed my life. I owe my life to Recovery Unplugged. I'm, I'm sure I would either be dead or in prison if it weren't for this place. So it, it makes it a pleasure to do what I do. Do you agree? <laughs> yes, I do. Listen, I still love coming to work every morning. I love to come to work. There's never a morning I might be tired, but I just, I love what we do here. You know, and I had the, I had the, you know, I actually met Joey when he was in Nashville because I was in Nashville for about, I don't know, two months, I think, helping them out when they yeah. first opened up. So it's amazing to see that. Very cool. All right. So I think we're about that time when we are going to put you on the spot a little huh. bit more with some rapid fire questions, Christine. It's rapid fire question time. <laughs> all right you like that little animation explosions yes, I... when in doubt just put as many fucking explosions on there and, and everybody will love it back to music what is the last song that made you cry oh it was tim mcgraw the one with the the kid oh 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 um Tim McGraw, the one with the kid. We'll, we'll take that. I'm sure. You no, know, the wedding song. My daughter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right. Celebrity crush who has never been in a New York, New York Yankee. Oh, that's not fair. Hmm. You know, that's impossible for me to do that. Has to be a movie star or something, a rock star. She's completely frozen because I said she couldn't name a Yankee. Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger. Okay, that's a good one. I actually got to meet Mick Jagger years ago when my mom was running recording studios. She threw a party for him, and I got to shake his hand, and it was... I was star starstruck, literally starstruck. He is, and, he's, and he's very, very... you know, he, He's very statuesque, looks like a rock star. Good answer. Do you still have that fucking ringtone? Yes, I do. Anybody who's worked with Christine knows bad to the bone is her text alert. So you will hear and she gets about a thousand texts an hour and you'll be sitting there and just. You're never going to change that. Good. Don't don't ever change. No. Creature of habit. OK. What was your first concert that you ever attended? Oh, my first concert. <laughs> Really, you want me to go back to that? <laughs> yeah. The Bee Gees. The Bee Gees are great. We had, I know. Uh, my, my stepfather actually did some work with the Bee Gees at, uh, when they recorded in Miami. That's that's nothing to be ashamed of. The Bee Gees. Okay, are one of them after that was Kenny Rogers. My mother took me to it. <laughs> he made some great chicken, too. Kenny Rogers was uh, the gambler. 
All right. And here, Christine, I know this is probably going to be an easy answer for you. Mm, Favorite recovery unplugged client of all time? Jason. I knew it. I knew it. It settled everyone. That was so easy. (laughs) I know. I'm sure it was a pain in the ass, but thank you for everything that you do, Christine. So... If you'd like to take these last couple minutes here to just maybe give a message to anybody out there who's still sick and suffering, give shout outs to anyone. This is the floor is yours. Well, you know, I see so many people on here and uh, a lot of people from Texas. I miss my people in Austin. We miss you. I really do. Um, You know, listen, if anybody's suffering, you know, one thing about Recovery Unplugged, and I think it, it says a lot about the staff, from the alumni team to the people who work at the front desk, to the clinical team, to the BHTs, right? We are so compassionate and loving. I don't believe in the consequences. I, be, I believe in loving people back, right? We, we've had too many consequences, right? right? And I would like to give a big shout out to, I think, a department that doesn't get a lot of attention, but, you know, it is Nurses Week. And they do such a phenomenal job handling uh, the clients, you know, and I really just want to give out to the, a shout out to all the nurses in, in Austin and in Nashville, in Florida and Virginia. And I appreciate how hard they work. Shout out to the nurses. So if you could say where you would like to see Recovery Unplugged, say five years from now, what, what would you think? She's in deep thought. She's still. Maybe recovery unplugged on the West Coast, Los Angeles, Portland, Oregon. <laughs> what do you think, Christine? I've, I was going to say um, in every state across America. That's where we hear, need to be. Hear that, Robin Andrew? Every state <laughs> in five years. That's all. all. Right. They those can are, do it. <laughs> those, are, those are some lofty goals. But Christine, I, I can't thank you enough personally. Like I said, I met you the first day I came into treatment. You were always there for me. You were my boss when I was a tech. And you just, like I said, you, you have such an energy about you. You, 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 you bring so much of yourself to the job. And it's like, if, if anybody doesn't know, Christine used to live in between two of the properties um, that the clients would stay on. And she would she would be off work and she would just like she'd come outside to smoke a cigarette and just 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 walk around and then just like off duty and just ask people how they were doing. And, and things like that just mean so much, you know, because because people could people could feel it when you care. And, and that's one thing that everybody knows about you, Christine, is that you you really put your heart into this. So I personally like to thank you. And I'm sure I speak for most everybody who knows you. Thank you so much, Jason. You're welcome. And thank you once again. I know this is not your comfort zone, so I'm sure your sponsor is proud of you for for getting out of your comfort zone because I'm sure you say that every fucking day to clients who don't want to go into a group and don't want to speak or don't want to participate in an open mic. So, you know, thank you for walking the walk. And we appreciate you. We love you. And thank you, everybody, for joining us on today's Toxicology. Join us again next week. Hopefully, Joseph and I will be back together again, reunited. It's been a while. I miss you, Joseph. Hope you uh, get home safe and uh, good luck on your travels. 
thank you everybody out there and as oh god what does joseph always say <laughs> there's a thousand roads thousand ways in and a thousand ways out and we hope you find your way thank you <laughs> thank you